Now I want you to open the Bible to Genesis chapter 13. Kind of may look like I, on my outline, I jumped a little bit. But in a few, just a little bit later, we're going to kind of come back and deal with that at another occasion to which a similar thing happens. But um, a little over 4,000 years later, right where we were right back, have you noticed this? 4,000 years has passed, and we're right back where we was when we ended. I mean, that, that spiritually, I'm speaking. That's where we were. And so God's grace has been good to us because you can look back on the history of America, and in our most backslid moment, we're right back where we were. And yet it doesn't seem like there's no sign of us returning. So I pray that God would uh, help us have revival, and you will make that a daily prayer to seek to be as many services as possible. If you work nights, you come to the day services. If you don't work at all, you come to all the services. If you uh, just work part-time, you come part-time. Whenever you can, you, you, you be here, and God will bless it and honor it. When you read Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18, uh, it's almost, especially when you read verses 10 through 13, it's almost like going back and looking at Luke chapter 17 and reading what Jesus said about it was like under the days of Noah. So to us, we look back and today looks like the days of Noah, doesn't it? He added one more. He said, it looks like the days of Lot, a day of sodomites. Well, in our day, that's the way it looks. It also, in Abraham's day, that's the way it looked. And so, I want you to keep that in mind, write those verses down. Jesus reminded us that any society that continues to go down in sin will wind up in sodomy. Just to where we're going. The Roman Empire was destroyed because of sodomy. One of its, one of its the sins that completely caused its explosion was the very fact that it rotted from the inside. And one of those five thing, areas was sodomy and the other was sports crazy. I'm just saying. It does well to listen sometimes. But tonight, what I want to talk to you about out of this chapter is handling strife among the saints. Not to say that there ever is any in the Baptist church. But I want to talk about handling strife among the saints. Wouldn't it be great if we never strove about anything as saints of God? I mean, where we just didn't fuss, didn't fight, didn't argue, didn't backstab, didn't lie and gossip. Didn't do any of those kinds of things. And it would do us well to keep in mind how Abraham handled this matter tonight as we look at it and how that Lot handled this matter. Because you're going to see totally different situations and totally different handling of those situations in Abraham and Lot. So keep those two things in mind tonight as we go. The first thing, um, we're coming off of a situation where Abraham has a little lapse First of all, you know, they go down to Egypt over in chapter 12 and, and a famine coming to the land. So they thought they'd go to Egypt. That's the last place I'd want to go if a famine was in the land was Egypt. But that's where they went. And they went to Egypt. And it came to pass that when they were there that 
he said to his wife, he's, all the time he's walking, he's thinking, you know, we go to Egypt, he's he, he going to see my wife, and she's a knockout hot babe, and I just don't want him to kill me and take my wife. Now, that was a real brave husband, right? When, when you love to have a husband like that, ladies. And uh, so he told her, he said, when we get there, you don't tell him that uh, you're my wife because the Bible says in verse number 11, she was fair. That, that word fair doesn't do that word justice. It means she was knockout, double gorgeous. She was beautiful. Uh, how Abraham got her, nobody knows, but that's the way she was. And so he says, uh, you just say that you're my sister and it'll be okay. So the Bible says that everybody took in well, and, and one of the reasons they accepted him was because of his beautiful woman. Every time they saw him, they'd see that beautiful woman, and they thought, wow, we want this guy to stay. We want her around. And look what it said in verse 15. So the princess also of Pharaoh saw her, commended her before Pharaoh, said, Pharaoh, you got to see this woman. You're going to want her in your harem. And the Bible says the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Oh, what a bold husband. Taken to Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abraham well for her sake. Get this. He's making money off of a lie about his wife. Look, the Bible said because of her, he has sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camel and camel. You see, because of her, he's making money, even though it is a blatant lie. But not only is he making money out of her, he's making misery out of their life. Look, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram, Abram's wife. I mean, he's making their lives miserable. Pharaoh's saying, man, we've never had it this bad around here. There's such an awful attitude in the palace. There's such a rotten attitude among the people. Nothing's going right. It must be that Abraham and that crowd. And then, of course, the scripture says, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she's your wife? Somebody come and said, I'll tell you what our problem is. That dude lied to you. He is, that's his wife, not his sister. Most, Pharaoh, most Pharaohs would have just killed him right there. Buried him in the sand, let the ants eat his eyeballs out. That's what would happen. That's the way they were just cruel. And, but he was so shaken by the fact of their God that making money off their lives. He let him just keep that, making misery of their lives because of it, and even making mockery of their lives. And Pharaoh says, here's what I want you to do. Get out of here. Take your clan and get out of here. Folks, that's the restraining hand of God. Would you have not thought on any other occasion a guy like a Pharaoh guy like a Pharaoh on any other occasion with that beautiful woman that caught everybody's eye. I mean, she couldn't go anywhere just because of her facial beauty, not her bodily beauty. They couldn't even see that. Just her facial beauty was so gorgeous that she couldn't go every, anywhere that people didn't like just, just knock out over her. And as a result of that, God 
allowed him, allowed Pharaoh or made Pharaoh, restrained Pharaoh from taking her and having an immoral relationship. Isn't God good? He restrained that Pharaoh from committing a sin and got Abraham out of a fix. Now, that's not the last lie he'll tell. Um, this, see, Pharaoh was superstitious. So he says, get her out of the land. You know what that, what that says to me is, is that we don't, have a, we, we, we don't have a superstitious God, but I believe we do have a superstitious devil. I believe when he gets somebody on fire for God, I believe he wants to get them away from everybody else, you know? And listen, when, when Abraham walked out of there with all that wealth he accumulated, I'm telling you, that was grace, 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 grace. Now, that brings us to tonight. First of all, when you're handling strife among the saints, there are Christians involved. <laughs> you can't handle, can't have strife among the saints unless there's some saints involved, right? So, the Bible says that there are two now. We've been mainly looking at Abraham, the man of faith. But now there is a matter of strife because now we have two parties. We've got the Democrats and Republicans here. One's a spiritual Christian. That's Abraham. Other's a carnal Christian. That's Lot. And you put your name on either one. I'm not going to name them. The first one is Abraham. Abraham had drifted out of the will of God. He had very, very, by the very grace and restraining hand of God come out of that uh, as not a backslidden man, but he come out of that situation in Egypt as a spiritual man. We, we know he did because of three characteristics. Number one, by separation. He removed himself from Egypt. He didn't try to stay in Egypt and get right with God. He didn't say, Pharaoh, let's sit, let's sit down and take, talk this thing out. I'll take her back to my house. We'll get the curse off of your house, and we'll just work this thing out, and we'll stay here till the famine is over. No, sir, he does not do that. He separates himself just like God said do. So one here is a spiritual Christian, Abraham, the other is a carnal Christian lot. And so we see Abraham drifted out of the will of God to Egypt, but now he comes back a different man. And so we know it, first of all, by that separation. He removed himself from Egypt to be right from God. Let me tell you something. You can't walk with God unless you'll come out from them and be separate, saith the Lord. You can't do it. You can't say, I'm going to get saved, but I'm going to keep drinking my beer. No, you can't say, you can't do that. The only way you can do that is that you don't have, you're totally ignorant about the Word of God and you don't know that that's not a sin. Yes, you can get saved then and drink your beer until you get under conviction about it. And that'll take you about two days. And when you do, you don't ever want a taste of that garbage again in your mouth. Because I tell you, I tried it. I can tell you the convicting power of God's there. And so whatever your sin is that binds you up, maybe many sins bind you up, when you get rid of those sins, first thing you want to do is separate yourself from them. Not only that, you need to separate you from the people who helps to draw you into that sin. Now, you're going to lose some friends when you do. But he separated himself. So we know that Abraham comes out a spiritual Christian because of his separation. Number two, we know it because of his sanctification. It is not so much a separation from that we have here, but we have a separation to. 
2. He not only leaves Egypt, but he goes back to where? Bethel, the house of God. Bethel means the house of God. So he leaves Egypt far from the house of God, and he goes back, leaves that crowd, and goes back to God at the house of God where he first built his altar. So we know he's a spiritual man because he gets back to God. He gets away from them and he gets back to God. And so he's living, to clo- he's living as close to God now as he can. In fact, I think now after what he's been through in Egypt, when he looked at how sorry he was, how, 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 uh, how sissified he was, how scared he was, how he put his wife in that situation, his family in that situation, even him in that situation, when he looks at how God by his grace brought him out of that mess, I think he starts singing a song, and I I think he said, I'd rather be a Christian than anything I know. I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. I think that's what he was singing then. He wasn't singing it in Egypt, but he's singing it now. Now, look at the third thing. You know he's spiritual because of a sacrifice. Look what he does. He builds him an altar. Comes and builds him an altar. He's ready to offer his life to Jesus Again, he's what we're calling backslidden, getting it right with God. And if you're backslidden, you want to get right with God, you need to come to an altar. You need to make you a place somewhere where you get on your face before God and get it right. That's called sacrifice. And the Bible says then he called upon the name of the Lord. Look at verse 3. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. Remember, the very first thing he did was built an altar. So we know he's walking with God when he's built an altar. Y'all ain't getting this. Y'all just sitting there. Now help me. Wake up, wake up. It'll be, you know, you can sleep here in a few minutes. Regardless of what Chris said, if you got bored tonight, you could fill out your card while I was preaching. But he says, when you get back to the altar, which he had made there at the first, and what did he do? He called on the name of the Lord. Yeah. When you call on the name of the Lord, guess what? He'll show up. Call to me and I will answer thee and show thee mighty things which thou knowest not. And so we know he's a spiritual man right here. Now, let's look at another guy. His name is Lot. Now, we could call him what we'd call a carnal man. A carnal man. Do you know any carnal man or have you ever been a carnal man or woman? I'll have to admit to it. Now, you may not, but I'm going to admit to it. How many of you admit tonight that you've been just carnal? You've got in the flesh. Well, you ain't never been by that red light if you don't raise your hand tonight. (laughs) I guarantee you you can't go by that red light without getting in the flesh. And so, don't tell me you're that patient because I've seen you here, okay? No way. So, I, I, I didn't, if I didn't know better, when I looked at Lot, if I didn't know better, I'd say Lot's going to hell. If I didn't know better, I'd say Lot was a lost man. Because most of us, if you look at his life and if you bear a conclusion about his life, he is not going to heaven at all. He's not saved at all. But what he is, he is going to heaven. He is saved. He's a carnal Christian. 
And again, we see grace, grace, grace. You see, many of us walk away from God, don't we? We have to come back. Isn't it wonderful there is a place called Bethel to come back to? When we leave God, we can come back to God if we're saved. Now, look. Second, you say, well, when you, just, you don't know, you Baptists, you think everybody's saved, and they're going to stay saved, and they, you know, but they can't live that life and be saved. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. David did. Peter did. A whole bunch of people in the Bible did. In fact, you are. You better hope God does it. You are. You better hope God will save you. I, I, you know, one of the dumbest things I ever hear people say, well, what if they die and they sin before they die and don't confess it? Isn't that ignorant? That's ignorance. When Jesus died on Calvary, he didn't die for just yesterday's sin. He died for today's sin and tomorrow's sin, and he died not for today but forever. When you come back to Jesus, you're not coming back to say, oh, God, go die for me again like the Catholics. We're not Catholic. We're Bible-believing Christians, and we believe that Jesus went to the cross one time, sat down on the right hand, and said, that's my kid, but he ain't acting like it, but my blood will cover him till he makes it right. That's what, now, I didn't mean to sell that, but I, I did. So, but just if you don't believe what I said about it, look in 2 Peter chapter 2. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2. If you don't believe me about it, I want you to look here. You got it? 2 Peter chapter 2. That's way over in the New Testament. It's kind of hidden down in between James. And Look what he says. And he, turned, of course, God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example to all those who should afterward live. That ought to wake up America, just that one verse. One verse. Look, look what he says. But he delivered a just lot. That word don't mean he delivered just lot. One, because it couldn't be that because he delivered his daughters. He's not talking about one. He's talking about the word justification. This was a man who's just before God. I don't know how, but he is. He delivered just Lot. Now, look look how Lot was, though. Look how he found him. He was vexed. That word means to be tortured by the Holy Ghost. He was vexed. When you start living for the devil, when you're supposed to be living for God, I'm telling you, you're putting yourself in a vexation that's difficult to handle. He was tortured and with the filthy conversation of the wicked, with the filthy lifestyle of the wicked. He had just got right in there with them, but in his heart it was eating him alive. In his heart it was driving him crazy because he was saved and he knew he ought not to have gotten that far from the altar of God. But he did. And so, no doubt, there had been a time in Lot's life when he sang, it pays to serve Jesus, it pays every day, it pays every step of the way. These worship times around the altar, though, started to become fewer and fewer for a lot. And soon he would be far away from Bethel and anything that reminded him of it. And he was a carnal Christian. Some of us have been lots. In fact, I'd say all of us have been lots. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, every one of them had been lots. 
They were called carnal Christians. That's not a lost Christian. That is a Christian who looks like a lost man. Y'all with me? Okay. I got a text today from a friend of mine in Texas. He, he said, Brother Glenn, I was listening to you preach. He said, you say some of the things that I ought to know is in the Bible, but it don't register to me till I hear you screaming it through this CD. And that was one of the things I was talking about. I said, I, I don't know when, when it was. I don't know exactly which one, but I, I think I said something like, you can mess up today and be right th- with God tomorrow. Now, that, that this turned him on, just that little phrase. You never do know how, what God used, do you? Let's look at the, now what happens when you get this thing together? What we got here, we got a spiritual Christian, got a carnal Christian. So when you get that, what happens? Strife, right? Strife develops between a carnal and a spiritual mind. They can't think alike. It's impossible to think spiritual if you're carnal. And it's impossible to think carnal if you're spiritual. You just see things different. When somebody says, well, I just can't see it like Brother Glenn. You might if you get right with God. You might, if you'd read your Bible a little bit more, you might, if you'd ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart more. Well, I've never heard it that way. Well, I don't mean it's not that way. And a lot of things that you hadn't heard, and I've done it my very best since I've done it, probably preached through 40 books of the Bible since I've been here, trying to teach you what you ought to know about the Word of God. Now, some of them didn't stay long enough to get much of it, they hightailed it and left. But when you put a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian together, it, it, it's likely to cause somebody to have to leave. So let's look at the second thing. It involved not only Christians, but it involved conflict. The Bible says there was strife. The word strife really comes from a word that means a contest. It means, it means like a, a one person battling another person. It, it, it meant to be controversial in their positions. And so as a result of it, they would clash and come together. In fact, the word even means to, to wrangle and to grapple with each other. It just means to wrestle. What's the word? We spend most of our time in the Baptist church wrestling instead of getting things God for, got done for Jesus Christ. We're wrestling over that silly mess that don't mount anything. What caused it? Two things. First of all, space. Best God, they got my parking place. I've been parking there for 20 years. I'm mad. My part. And I'll tell you something, they got my seat. I don't care if they all go to hell, but I want my seat back. You see, space will cause a lot of trouble in Baptist Church. You don't have to take up much of it either. And if you take up way much of it, they really get upset then. And I'll tell you something else. There's folks that won't even dare get up and let a Christian or a visitor or a guest get over them. They'll just sit right there. I dare you. Bless God, if I get up, you'll get my seat. And I ain't doing it. And here they are climbing and crawling and trying to get over each other. And you're sitting there thinking, bless God, I kept my seat. Yeah, you did. And some lost person saw how you kept it. Some visitors saw how you kept it. Some spiritual person saw how you kept it. 
We used to have people that literally did this. Come in here and mark their seats and set stuff in their seats like they're the stinking ball game and save their seats. One Sunday, I'll come in here and rake them all to the far end. I thought they're going to have to sit in one spot the rest of their life. And there's about six of them. Ridiculous. But that's where we have strife. Strife in a church usually comes because two or more dominant players don't have enough space. You see, some places, there's just some places that, that can't accommodate two dominant figures. It just, just don't happen. A friend of mine, when I was in evangelism, he just recently had a heart attack. Became my dear friend, helped me in the ministry a great deal. Their church supported me as one of my churches while I was in evangelism. And, and um, I preached at his church quite often. His people loved me. I don't know why, but they did. And they just liked preaching. They just liked, they'd grown up under it. He'd been a great preacher. They'd just grown up. He'd been there for years. He came to me one day. He said, Glenn said, he said, you know, I'm, I've been here a long time now. And he said, when you come preach here, folks get saved and God moves all over this place. He said, why don't you just come and you go to work for me and and, and, and you, you do the morning service, and I'll do the night service, and you can do the Wednesday night service. So you preach twice a week, and I preach once. And I said, no, we can't do that. Well, he said, why not, man? It would be a lot easier in the way you, in the lifestyle you're living. I said, well, I'll agree with that. I was starving about half to death. I understood that. But I said, well, you know why it won't work? Because you have a dominant personality, and so do I. And we'd be duking it out the first week. And there'd be blood all over the church. And people would wonder what happened in there that day. And I said, as much as I love you, as much as I love this church, and as much as I love to work with you, that just don't work. Just will not work. You got to understand where your place is if you're ever to not live a life of strife. So some of you want more space, not you, but those who's not here tonight, they want more space than they ought to have. They want to be the center of space. They want their seat in the choir. They want their microphone. They, 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 they want to sing their special. They want to, they, 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 they want to take up the offering. They, they want to have their door. This is my door. I'm just telling you the truth tonight. I didn't mean to get into this, but just something just to start rolling out. Probably a good time to say it. But there's a second thing that causes strife. First is space. There wasn't enough space for Abraham and Lot with all the herds and cattle and kids and young'uns and men servants and maid servants and their servants and all that stuff. Just wasn't enough space for them to all graze their cattle. And so they had to Make, they had to kind of make a decision that they would have some, uh, put some space between them if they ever got along. You know who figured that out? Abraham, because he was spiritual. He knew there wasn't enough room for him and Lot to get along in life. He saw the road Lot was going down. He knew Lot was getting more and more carnal. And so he said, I, I, I don't want there to be any strife between me and you. So let's get, let's get this thing done. Wouldn't it be great if Baptists could do that? 
Just say, listen, I'm willing I'm willing to take the low side of this thing. I'm willing to get stepped on in this thing. I'm willing to get run over in this thing. But we don't need to fall out over this. That's what he did. Here's the second thing. Space and size. The growth had created this strife. First, it wasn't a problem, but they began to grow and this kept growing and they kept growing and and their goods increased very quickly and God blessed them and and it that's how the tension started the tension started among their workers unions come in tried to start a union they thought they was going to straighten it all out they don't, they don't never straighten it out and and they, they they just couldn't get along just not enough the the, the size of their the size of their estate now had grown. Their farms and their animals had just grown so much. Size creates strife. I've heard it even said right here in this church on several occasions that people didn't know I heard it. Say, so I don't like it like it is now. I like it like it used to be when we were small. That's a carnal Christian. It's okay to like the atmosphere that we had at one time. It's okay to want the power we had at one time. But that could be your problem, not somebody else's. So size. Some want more space, and that creates strife. Someone wants space to do their thing without any restrictions and any restraints. Some won't move to let a church grow. Did you know there's some people that's not going to move to let their church grow? We got just a few, and they're determined they're not going to let the church grow because they have their concept the way it ought to be. And they ain't moving off of it. They're going to sit on their egg until it explodes under them, and out comes a turkey. I don't want our budget to grow. We get too much money. We, 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 we're just too big-headed about it. Well, now, if we use it for God, we don't. Our workers starts to grow, and we need more workers. Well, I've been teaching this class, and you, no, sir, I ain't giving my class up. You see, you're a carnal Christian. Might need you somewhere else more than we need you there. In fact, with that, if that attitude, probably don't need you at all. Those kids don't need to see some mad teacher ticked off about their space or their size. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Get down here and talk to you. This ain't even in my sermon. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. If I was a Sunday school teacher, and I did here for four and a half years, I taught Sunday school because we didn't have enough teachers, didn't have enough workers, didn't have enough people. We didn't have any young adults. We didn't have any children. And I just got for the church, and I said, I make no bones about it. This is what I'm going to do. I am going after young people, and I'm going after young adults, and I'm going after kids. And before long, we're going to have young adults, and we're going to have kids. At that time, I was kind of a young adult. And so I did. 
And God started blessing. Our class started growing. So when we got the, we got the sledgehammers out, we knocked the wall out. And we had 12. We had 14. Then we got 16. And so then we got 18. We, well, we got to have somewhere else to go. So we went down in the basement and found the one. We used to have little old, little old bitty rooms. I don't know why they built them that way. Little old bitty rooms in the back. And so we took sledgehammers and we knocked that stuff out. And we had dust all over us. And we made us a bigger room. And we went down there. And next thing we know, we got 20 and we got 30. And and we're up to 40. And I'm calling them and I'm praying about them and I'm visiting them and I'm getting them to come to my Sunday school class. I'm asking them, I said, listen, if you just come to Sunday school class, God will get you and attach you. In fact, some of you are here right now because you came to that Sunday school class. Now, some left maybe because of it, but so I said this. I said, listen, this, we don't have enough, enough room here. We've done run out of space. That was the dumbest thing I ever did. And we moved to the worship center in the old building because we just was wall-to-wall, couldn't get people in. And you know what happened? Stopped growing. If I was teaching Sunday school class today, I wouldn't fuss one minute about having too many in my class. And if I had tables in my class, I'd get every one of them and throw them out the door because that means there's 15 more people that can't sit there. I might not have a job come tomorrow. <laughs> year and a half though, I'll be on Social Security, no matter, all right? <laughs> Folks, you know I'm telling you the truth. We don't we have strife over things that is so silly. Over things we ought to be shouting about, we're fighting about. Gracious goodness, you ought to want your class full. You ought to want it packed. I don't care if it's 112 degrees in there. Let the sweat come down. Put on some extra deodorant and have a glory to God service in your Sunday school class. Don't fuss about it. Now, if we know about it and you make us aware about it, we'll do everything we can in the world to find you space. But it ought not to be something that causes strife. Can I just get a witness tonight? Well, I could go on. But anyway, let me get a third thing right quick and we'll quit. I didn't... didn't get very far, did it? But <laughs> y'all got me off on. I say I, I wouldn't have done, went that way if y'all hadn't got me off on. I could just feel y'all saying, "Come on, come on, come on." When there is strife, number three, it usually comes down to a confrontation. Comes head to head. Comes eyeball to eyeball. When there's a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. And a decision has to be made sooner or later. It's eyeball to eyeball. You know why some pastors can never grow a church? They don't have the guts to go eyeball to eyeball. Their deacons don't have the guts to go eyeball to eyeball. Their teachers don't have the courage to go eyeball to eyeball. And there's strife among the people. Eventually, it's going to come down to a confrontation. Especially if there's a carnal Christian. And it usually is. It seems to me Abraham let this go and did nothing for quite some time until the strife was visible. And then Abraham said, it's time to face this thing off now. It's went on too long. They're starting to bicker and they're starting to fight. It's time we put this thing to rest. And Abraham had to do something. 
I'm going to quit there tonight, and I'll pick it back up next week. But, but tonight, I just want to ask you something. If you're saved, we have a Christian. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you'd like to be saved tonight. You need to come and give your heart to Christ. You'd say, Brother Glenn, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I believe he died for me on the cross. I believe he shed his blood. I know I could never do anything good enough to get to him, but tonight I want to give him all my heart and ask him to forgive me and save me and change my life. You know what Jesus will do? He'll do that if you believe him tonight. 